diving Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Where there's a will, there's a way Hello everyone and welcome to Raw Recovery a Trudging Together podcast. My name is Dion Miller, and I'm going to be your host today. Uh, I have brought on uh, Leanna, uh, and I've known Leanna for, man, how long have I been going to that group? Well over a year, probably a year and a half now. I think I've been going to that group, and um, it's my home group, and um, on Sundays, Leanna, Chairs, I love it. I love it. I wish you were there every day, but we don't get to do that. So, first off, thank you very much for taking your time on a Saturday afternoon to share your story with us. I am so glad to be here. It is an honor to get to share my story, and yeah, yeah, I think it helps. Well, you know, this is usually about the point where I just go ahead and relinquish the show to the speaker. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it on over to you. And it is now your podcast. Thank you, Leanna. All right. And I will, let's see. Well, I'll start at the beginning, what it was like. Um, so I did not, I, I did not grow up around alcoholics. Or addicts. My parents were not uh, alcoholic. Okay. Barely, barely drank. Okay. Um, and yeah, really. I mean that that was a big part of what took me so long to get here was that okay. I didn't really know what an alcoholic was, what it was to be addicted. Um, and I am definitely both of those things. I am an alcoholic as well as an addict. Okay. Um, I mean, really, so growing up, like most of us, dysfunctional mm-hmm. family and stuff happened when I was little. And okay. then I, at 14, I ended up uh, severely anorexic. Went into the hospital. Okay. Was molested there. Got transferred to a psych ward. Um, was raped there. Both of those things shattered wow. my self-esteem. Absolutely. You said you were 14? I was 14. Oh. And, and yeah, spent three months in a in a psych ward for anorexia, which was not very helpful to begin with. No, yeah, well, that was the problem <laughs> back then. They, I had problems, too, and they put me in a mental ward where I just did yeah. not, I didn't belong there. Um, it, it, was, it was not a helpful atmosphere. That yeah. is actually where I kind of got introduced more to Alcohol and drugs. Um, okay. Not that I mean, I tasted alcohol before that and sure. whatever, but um, but 
because of some of the struggles of the other patients in there and all of that, um, that's actually where I kind of learned that it might be a coping skill. And, mm. you know, and my world had just crashed and burned with, with the sexual assaults and that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I started checking that out some. Okay. Um, the, the trauma that happened from, from the assaults actually, yeah. like, I, I had issues beforehand. I was pretty withdrawn, pretty shy, all of yeah, that. I, I just totally ask. collapsed in on myself. Yeah. Um, dropped out of high school. Got it. Got married at 16. Yep. Yeah. Looking for um, approval. Yes. That was an incredibly violent marriage. Okay. And... And I certainly drank a whole lot during that time and started using other drugs more. Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily alcoholically, but definitely like it was, it was my coping skill already at that point. And it was a, you know, you were abusing it. Exactly. I drank. Get drunk so things didn't hurt so bad, and yeah, um, had to deal with the fear, and yeah, that's that's kind of how it helped. Coming out of that marriage, um, I I had PTSD so bad that for years afterwards, if somebody raised their hand too quickly or moved too quickly, I would drop to the floor, cover my head, and be shaking. I oh, mean, it was just, hard. which is really yeah. hard to explain in a workplace. Why <laughs> you you just drop to the floor. Yeah, and, where and people don't, sometimes people just don't understand. Yeah. Um, it was... Being in my skin was incredibly hard, okay. and I I used drugs when I could. I drank when I could here and there. Again, you know, kind of more a binge here and there to deal with what was going on. Yeah, and really, I mean, through through all of my life up. Well, that point and beyond, I, I just, like, I just wanted to die. I was not comfortable in my skin. I was suicidal most of the time to one degree or another and, and really just struggling to get by. At the same time, I mean, life was still going forward. I held jobs. I had relationships. I got married again. Later, that was a train wreck. Um, divorced again. A couple of miscarriages along the way. Other things that happened. Um, but it just, like, life didn't work. And I didn't yeah. know how to make it work. And I didn't have support of, of my family. Okay. Um, they were 
somewhat in the picture, but not really supportive. <laughs> and I, I actually kind of have a question about the family. Was there yeah. a grandma or grandpa that was a heavy drinker? Is that why one of your parents did, they didn't like to drink in? No, not that I, not that okay. I know of. Just more, um, I'm just more curious because, yeah, because, you know, sometimes it happens different ways for us, and that's what I'm trying to get across through the audience, that we don't just become, you know, that things happen that tend to make us alcoholic, to look for something else to relieve us because we can't find any relief in this world. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to the best of my knowledge, my generation, so sisters struggled with alcohol and drugs to various levels. Okay. I had one sister that suicided on a drug overdose um, okay. when I was 23. Okay. But as far as my parents, no, no hint of any substance they were just straight lace did what they were supposed to okay. yeah i mean they they would have a you know a beer and a half at the picnic and be fine or have a cocktail when they had friends over and okay and no big deal um i don't know what the heck happened to <laughs> after that generation but we lost it we totally something, lost it something happened on the way yes <laughs> Um, and to the best of my knowledge, grandparents, aunts, uncles, no one okay. in particular had a, an issue. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely fell apart in the yes, in my so generation. You, so you were married a second time. I was married a second time. Um, got divorced then. Okay. And. And still, I mean, if I had something going on and could get pain pills, I abused them. If I okay. could go to the doctor and get sleeping pills, I abused them. If I had the chance to, you know, pick up a couple bottles of wine, I drank them down. Okay, <laughs> the doctor just, gave me a prescription and said, do not drink. I got excited. I got that actually made me well, happy. That, I was that like, means yay! That means the effect's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um. That's just kind of kind of how it went, and it didn't. Okay. You know, it didn't really have a a huge. It wasn't really causing that many problems in my life necessarily. Okay. Um, the general state of mind was, but, um, but yeah, really just kind of limped along. Um, things were escalating somewhat on the substance use side of things, but not, not terribly. Right. Um, I eventually met the love of my life, Rob, and right. we ended up spending 16 years together. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and again, life went forward. I had jobs, lost jobs, well, changed jobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't really lose too many at that point. Um, 
but but just I really I was struggling and I tried wow. a few times I tried like going to see a therapist but I wasn't going right. to be honest about what happened because I thought right. I needed to be quiet and keep my secrets mm. um, and so you know all this time nobody knew what had happened when I was 14. I was, one, I was wondering why. if your fam if like your mother and father knew my my parents knew about the first the molestation that happened and okay. and they tried to address it and it upset them and oh. um and then with with what happened later it was just like i yeah. i'm dusting myself off i'm forgetting this happened and i'm not going to deal with you know yeah yeah, because you know, man, I love your parents. Um, <laughs> well, when I got married, the very violent first marriage, um, they basically told, they knew what was going on. Okay. Um, and they said, you know, well, you married them. Like, it's your problem. <laughs> mm. um, that was kind of their attitude. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, even at one point, I ended up with 77 stitches in my arm and nearly died. And, you know, it was still like, well, we later my parents were like, well, we, we figured he would probably kill you at some point. But, you know, what could we do? Oh. <laughs> I had very hands off parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, not a lot of support there. Not okay. bad people. I mean, they were trying to just, do their best. Yeah, they just did. Well, they came from a from from an era where things were different. Yeah. And they they were, you know, they weren't given the resources. They don't have the information. They did the best that they could, but gosh, indifference is probably the worst thing a person can feel. It it was it was hard and and there was very much the attitude of you know we, we you smile and you share the happy things you don't get angry you don't share the negative um, you thoughts or feelings you keep things looking very good on the outside no matter what's going on yeah toxic and positivity so yeah I I very much went through life. Feeling I needed to keep my secrets. Okay, that, that explains myself. why you felt so alone. And yeah. by the time you were fourteen, because anorexia is an is an addiction, also. It is. It's very much so. It was my first yeah. addiction. Yes. Um, um. And my first attempt to try to control my world in some way because it felt out of control. How could I mean? I I get it. I do. I get it. Yeah. Um, Rob was, you know, the, the first person that I had met or known, dated, married, whatever. We we actually didn't get married, although we were more married than yeah. the marriages. Yep. Um, but. You know, that was the first relationship where things were respectful and 
I actually got to see that there were, you know, good people in the world, that relationships could be mm-hmm. good. Um, and I still had all of this trauma that had yeah. never been dealt with. Yeah. And and still struggled with it. Yeah. And you know, we did fine for years, but then just other other difficulties and the trauma catching up, I started leaning more into the you know, let's get drunk on the weekend and yeah. you went to uh, your solution. Leaning more into finding excuses to get the pain pills or the sleeping pills or the benzos or the whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, enough that it started interfering. Like it started being more of the thing that I I wanted to make sure I had that covered. Kind of. Okay. So your life was starting to become unmanageable at this. This is where it really gets going. Yes. Okay. It was it was starting to become unmanageable, and then and then really more so with the other substances. Okay. Um, the alcohol, the alcohol was there. It was part of it throughout, okay. but it was really leaning into the into yeah. the, the opo- opioids, benzos, and Herbituates. Okay. Um, and and there was a point, and I I still remember the the day where you know by this point things had progressed quite a bit. I had actually lost a job because I just couldn't really show up. Yeah. Um, Monday morning flu. There was there was the a day where, like, I planned, you know, by that point it was like, okay, if I just hold off until, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning to take the first <laughs> handful of whatever or yeah. whatever, um, like, then I can be pretty wasted through most of the day and I'll have, you know, I would yeah. plan it out like that. Yep. And that there was that day that I thought that. And the next oh. moment, I was swallowing everything I had. I, like, I, I know the moment that I lost control. Yeah. And it took over. And that was probably like the end of 2005, first part of 2006. Okay. And from there, it was just falling off a cliff. It was just... it. It took over completely. Yeah. And again, it was mostly the other substances. Not okay. alcohol was there, but not um, my alcoholism exactly. did not ever progress as far as it might have. Yeah. Um. But yeah, from there it was just it ruled every moment yeah. of my life. Um, I would do anything to get the next fix. Um, My sister, my oldest sister, 
died of cancer in 2006. And A, I was pissed off because she was dying and I wasn't. And how, did, yeah. how come she got to get that out is, of this life? That kind of felt like an unfair cut. And I mean, I stole drugs from her. Yeah. <laughs> um, like anything I could get, it was really I've, I've awful. I've done that too. Yeah. Um, but it was like I I didn't feel like I could had a choice by that point. Um, there was the day that that came that Rob told me, you know, it's it's me or the drugs. And I was heartbroken. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I stood there and told him I, I'll be going because I couldn't stop. And I, it broke my heart because I loved him with all my heart. Yes. And I knew that I loved him and it wasn't nearly as strong as the addiction. Correct. And it just, it tore my heart apart. Oh. And I, you know, I ended up and wrong. The house and going to stay with my mom, supposedly to help take care of her. Um, okay. By that point, my dad had died a few years before. Okay. Um, and in all honesty, in all honesty, it was my mom taking care of me, of course. Yep. Um, you know, by by solution by that point, I was unemployable completely. Yeah. <laughs> um, my thought of showing up for for a job interview was to get drunk or wasted on other stuff, and then show up. And yeah. there were more than a few occasions where whoever was interviewing me was like half picking me up off the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I made a lovely impression. <laughs> Um, but yeah I just I would I would you know drive to go get stuff and wake up in the morning and not remember how come my jeep was not where I thought I left it um I was in and out of the emergency room. By the mm-hmm. time I got sober, I had half a million dollars in medical bills. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got. I don't know about you, but I woke up several times with black chalk all over me, being in I, the hospital, and that's so scary coming to and not knowing. And I went and did it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was so terrified at the end that I would kill somebody when I was driving. Yeah. And I would, you know, I would wake up to the knock on the police or knock on the door from the police. Mm-hmm. And and what bothered me most was that I would have killed somebody and like not even known. Like to yeah. do that. To that do something so horrible, yep, and not even be yep. aware that I had done anything. Um, 
and yeah, stole from my mom, stole drugs from my mom. Um, just, you know, it was just a mess. Even the Uh, strongest morals like that still don't stop us. We still do it knowing we could go out and kill somebody's child. That'd be the worst. I couldn't live with myself, but yet I would do it anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And that's, yeah, that's a, you know, this is an obsession beyond human aid. Yeah. Um, there, there finally came the day where my mom and my niece and nephew, who uh. were my oldest sister's children, so they're they they were like pretty much the same age as me. That okay. um, they decided to do an intervention. Yeah. They they. Were at my mom's house and basically said that they would take me to a rehab unit. Um, and I flipped them off, told them yep. to go to hell, yep. grabbed my purse, stomped out the door to nothing. <laughs> yeah. Where were you going? It, <laughs> at that point, it was like, Asking me to stop breathing. That's, yeah. that's the best way that I, it was like, I, I could not fathom in any way, shape, yeah. or form not having the drugs, and, not and having. And then to have the audacity to confront me. Yeah. It's, <laughs> my, my mom had called the police, so okay. I, I had to leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, basically stomped out the door. You know, all pride, pride and entitlement, and to mm-hmm. nothing. Um, wandered the wandered the streets for as best as I can as I can remember. Probably about a week and a half. Okay. Um, in and out of the emergency rooms. At one point, I stole a blanket from the emergency room because I needed the blanket. Yeah. <laughs> so I was wandering the streets with, you know, a hospital blanket wrapped around me. And oh. um, and my thought was I was going to jump in front of a truck and just kill myself. But then it, then it was like, I can't do that to somebody. Like, yeah. it would tear me apart if I hit somebody with my vehicle. Mm-hmm. I can't be the one that makes someone go somebody through Somebody else that. killed somebody, yeah, to kill you. Yeah. Um, so I didn't do that. But, yeah, by the very, by the very end, kind of the last thing I remember was being at, University of Colorado Hospital and being so wasted. Yeah. My mind so far gone that I couldn't find my way across the parking lot to the front door. And I would stand there and the security, parking lot security 
guy would come around and and I would ask him, you know, where where's the entrance? Where do I? He would point me on my way, and I would get about five steps, and I would just be frozen because I would be lost again. Yeah. And I would have to wait till I circled back around. Yeah. Um, and then I spent probably four days in a just a complete break, psychotic break in the hospital. All right. All right. Um, I take it they put you on a hold. Though. They. They probably did. I, I it wouldn't have mattered. You needed to be um, hospitalized. So, yeah. I was I was hallucinating. <laughs> Thank God you were at the hospital. Yes, um, that that was certainly a blessing. <laughs> and yeah, I don't I don't know what kind of finally broke through of that, but I did finally start to come out of it and, and just realized how, how screwed I was. Um, And one of the doctors came in and said, you know, no matter how big the mess is, it can always be cleaned up. And that hit me really hard. It was like, okay. Um, and then I, by that point, I had, I mean, nobody in my life, I kicked everyone out of my life, so nobody knew if I was alive or dead or where I was, Um, and I had no place to go and no money, so I, they gave me a list of places I could go, and really the only place that was open to me was, was Denver Detox, Um, and and one of the nurses there gave me two dollars for bus fare, which oh. I cried. <laughs> I cried buckets because Nurse, I, nurses are our best advocates. They really are. Yeah, they are. Um, and I, whatever I had stashed in my in my jeep at that point, I I took. So I could get to detox, but I also had this moment of, and I've, I've said, I've shared this at the meeting too. I had this yeah. moment of just, I telling whatever was out there, whatever had kept me breathing, uh-huh. I give up. I don't know what to do. If you want me to keep breathing, you're going to have yeah. to show me what comes next. Yeah. I total surrender. And in that moment was my first moment I could ever remember of peace. Wow. It was so powerful. Wow. And, you know, at the same time, it was like, I have no idea what comes next. <laughs> you have to show me. Because <laughs> um, by this time, I have destroyed every, every bit of my life. Yeah. Um, pretty much. There were a few yet, but... Um, but in that moment was my first moment of peace and the first time that I, it was like, whatever, whatever it takes, I'll do it. Like, I just, I don't know what else. And I managed to get down to detox, um, 
August 17th, 2007 is my sobriety date. So that's uh, when I when I landed there. Denver Cares? Hmm? Was it Denver Detox or Denver Cares? Denver think. Cares. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If people don't know about Denver oh. Cares, uh, that's really rough. It, it was it's it was not hell. the easiest <laughs> detox to be in. I I got there and all hell was breaking loose, so I ended yeah, up sitting there for forty five minutes thinking, "Can I sit here or am I going to run for the door?" Um, and then they threw me in the quiet room, which was oh. um, and then they let me out of there, and I spent the next. Three, four days, so dope sick. I did yeah. not know my bones could hurt so bad. Yep. Um, and, I mean, at that point, I really was detoxing from the, the opioids. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and it was just hell. Yep. Um, and at some point during that, I went to my first AA meeting, which um, Did I they bring it in house. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I got there, and I was listening to these people, and it was like, "Holy cow! There are other people like me." Because I really thought all this yeah. time, I did not know that 12-step programs existed. I didn't yeah. know that anyone else was a slob that couldn't just stop yeah. taking whatever. That's what, um, that's what the disease, that's what when we say the isolation yeah. and that loneliness, we do literally think that because of our problems, we're this way, and we feel very alone. It was it was devastating it was, and yes. shameful, and I really thought I was the only slob that couldn't stop. Yeah. Um. And I heard started hearing some of those stories, and it was like I found my people. And then I went up to a, a woman. <laughs> Afterwards, and at this point, I knew I was an addict, knew that in my bones, did not uh, identify as an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, so I talked to this woman after the meeting, and and she, she told me, well, this isn't for you. Mm-hmm. There's other programs you need to go to. And it just about did me in. Um, to be rejected by these people who I thought I, I thought I thought I thought I just found my people and and now you're telling me leave. Um, but just about did me in. I only went to a few more AA meetings there because of the cookies and because of the because I was required. Uh, yeah. Uh, I ended up spending all days in. Denver Cares. Wow, they let you stay that long? I was lucky too. because that was really the, I, I, I remember at one point yeah. 
like yeah, opiates I need to sitting on the bed and thinking, oh my God, this is the best I can hope for. But then I I I was eventually able to to get into stepping stone for treatment, which I I get a huge blessing because I had nowhere to go. Yeah, Um, I'm very familiar with stepping stone. Yeah, Um, and there, yeah that that's where I. At that point, I wasn't so hot on AA, but they required meetings, and we had meetings yeah. at the house, and we also had CA meetings. Um, and and my first sponsor was someone who took a meeting in there, and it blew me away that this woman who, the little I'd heard of her story, it was like, she's... She's possibly a little bit crazier than I am, <laughs> and she can bring a meeting in here and walk out the front door. Oh, and and <laughs> like, that blew my mind. Yeah. Um. And yeah, eventually she did become my first sponsor. And it is nice to go back to detox. As not a client, it is it, nice to do that. It is, and over the years, I for for a very long time, I took meetings into or helped take meetings into detox. Good and for, for by the time I had ninety days, my first sponsor was telling me to be of service and yeah. bring a meeting hold a meeting, chair a meeting at uh, Stepping Stone. So yeah. I was or shoot, probably the first seven years of my sobriety, I was carrying a meeting into Stepping Stone, and then I took a little bit of a break, and then I was carrying a meeting one day a week in there um, up until the pandemic, up until February 2020, and um, so that that connection to yeah. newcomers meetings, to H and I meetings, was yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, and helped me. Same reason I like the 3 p.m. I mean, I get to hear people's stories of what it's like just coming in and I need yeah. to be reminded of that. Yeah. I need but to remember what it was like. It doesn't it still doesn't work out there. Alcohol is not gonna serve yeah. me, neither the drugs. You know, yeah. anything mind altering just really isn't gonna serve me anymore. It's it's um yeah, for me it's it's everything. There's I cannot yeah. use any any substance safely. Um, <laughs> We're what I, we call addictive personalities. <laughs> my my first sponsor helped me see that I was an alcoholic as well. Yeah. Um, and just sure. the role that had played. Certainly that could have been worse than it was, but, you know. If drugs weren't available, it probably would have been. Yeah. Um, 
and CA and AA were part of my story for probably the first year and a half or so of sobriety, okay. but I really, really found my solution in AA. Yeah. And yeah, the work Working while coming into the program in the beginning, it was just like, if I just don't have to drink or drug, like that is a full blown miracle, more than I could ever ask for in my whole life. Yay. And it's turned out to be so much more because I really did, like, I really didn't have the the handbook for how to live any of my life. And I really needed the design for living. I really I, needed I needed it bad. Yeah. 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 I I didn't have social skills by then. I didn't know how to show up and be present. I didn't know how to yeah. be friend, daughter, yeah. partner, whatever, employee. <laughs> um, I really needed it all and Yeah. The, the gifts from working the program are huge. Yeah. The, the amends when I, well, there's another piece to this too. When I had, when I got about eight months sober, um, I was seeing somebody. Okay. And, And uh, it was actually the first time that I'd probably showed up really honestly in a, in a relationship, um, which was very cool and felt yeah. very good. Um, however, <laughs> <laughs> at at about right about eight months sober, this other person by that time I had moved out of Stepping Stone into an apartment with another girl that had been in Stepping Stone. Yeah. Um, she promptly fell off the face of the earth, so I had a two-bedroom apartment that I was trying to afford on my own, working Oops. jobs. Um, and this person that I was dating, whose name is Floyd, um, by that point was moving out of his place, needed a place to stay, Again, it's like this is the first time I've shown up honestly and, you know, yeah. boundaries and things like that. So, you know, worked out this agreement that he could stay, pay a hundred bucks or whatever for staying in the spare room and, and no, we're not living together, but yeah. <laughs> um, temporary situation. Anyway, so, he landed there and things started going very, very wrong. Okay. He started getting very aggressive. Yeah. And I told him that he needed to leave. Um, and, and things did not get any better. They actually got worse, not physical violence, but. Okay. Horrible, Mental. horrible aggression, okay. verbal aggression okay. um, 
over the next day or so. So, yeah, next morning I I wake up and it's like, okay, you're leaving tonight. I this is over, done. Yeah. Not doing this. Um, and I left to go on about my my day, and part of that was actually seeing Robin helping him with his taxes because. By that point, we were at least friends again. Um, I'm happy to hear that because we were all sitting here wondering what happened to Rob. I've been wondering about Rob the rest of this time. You'll get to hear a little bit more of that if we have time because I have, yeah, he's a, he. he, You light up when you say his name and it's beautiful. Yes. Um. So I went to see him. Floyd is texting me just horrible stuff, but um, yeah, go there, go to my leave Rob's place. Didn't really tell him all of what's going on, just yeah. their stuff. Um, go on to my second job. Anyway, leave work. I was actually working at York Street at the time. Um, left work at like 10.30 that night. So uh-huh. closed up, went home, walk in the door, and and this person is waiting for me. I had gotten a few calls along the way, thought he was drinking. He was also in the program. Okay. Um, thought he was drinking going home figuring I'm probably going to be calling detox. Yeah. Um, instead, I walk through the door, and he's stone cold sober. Okay. And I walk in, and he walks up behind me, and you may want to cut some of this. I don't know. I You said you don't edit, but I'll yeah. let you decide. I'm not yes. going to give all the gruesome details. But okay. um, he walks up behind me and says, I'll give you to a count of five to tell me this isn't over. It's like, oh, hell yes, this is over and you're leaving. Um, and then he says, I'll give you to a count of five to tell me if you want to live. And, yeah, he kind of starts to, I'm standing by the window at that point. Yeah. He's kind of half pushing me out and then, you know, pulling me back. Um, it's like, yeah, I, I do want to live, which was kind of a revelation in the moment. Yeah. Like, I spent my whole life wanting to die. And yeah. Actually, <laughs> things are going better now. Um, but then he he pushed me back landed on top of me, strangled me until I passed out, Um, came to, he told me I would probably do 10 to 15 years in prison for what I just did. I might as well make it worth it. You're going to die now. And strangled me until I was out of my body. Um, I was dead, gone. Um... Somehow I dropped back in. Yeah. Wow. He um, he was in the kitchen when I started coughing up the blood, and I could tell he was surprised. He thought right. he, he thought he had killed me. Um. 
And from there, I was held hostage for 14, a little over 14 hours. Okay. Um, right during that time. Knew I was going to die. I mean, this whole time, he's like, yeah, you're not leaving here alive. Yeah, I killed you once. Yes, clearly he knows he's capable of it. And, um, and yeah, he's basically telling me, like, you're not leaving here alive. Um, I was fighting to get to the door. He was throwing me back in. It was just, it went on and on and on and on and on. And the whole time, I knew I was going to die. Like, I knew it was like, crap, this is how it ends. Yeah. Um, but there's also, like, when I was walking in the door, when he was first threatening me, I was I was praying. It was like, God, God grant me serenity. <laughs> To yeah. accept the things I cannot change, including the fact that I'm dying. Yeah. Um, courage to change what I can. I I um, managed to keep him from smashing my phone by telling him Rob would probably be calling me with a question. And if I didn't answer, Rob might show up to check on me. Yeah. Um, I can remember through all of those 14 hours thinking, thank goodness at least I have, I am sober. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to spend the last eight months showing up, being genuine, um, not just taking up air. Yeah. And and that was such a comfort. It was like, wow. I, you know, I mean, I knew, I can't explain, but there's such a difference between, like, thinking, like, in my first marriage, which was really violent, there were many, yeah. many times that I thought, I may die, like, he may kill me. That, that's um, like spiritual. close. But there is a very different feeling of just knowing, like, this is the very end, and how am I leaving this world? Like, yeah. it, it was such a comfort to know that I was sober. Wow. Um, and it was, yeah, it was so powerful. And and eventually, um, Well, eventually Rob did call. <laughs> Floyd was Floyd had my phone, so uh, I finally convinced him that I needed to pick up her again. Yeah, Rob might show up, and you don't want him to show up in the middle of this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Rob called about tax questions. I'd been helping him with tax, so this is April 14th and 15th. Mm-hmm. The time spread when this is happening in 2008. Um, and Floyd was listening um, 
holding the phone actually between our ears and Rob's asking me some question about taxes and I'm trying to give him the most bizarre answer I can to tell him something's wrong Um, and he's not getting it and I can tell he's not getting it. Um, And then Rob leaned back and or Floyd leaned back to a motion for me to cut the call and Rob asked me in that moment are you at work? And I said, no. And that was the piece that Rob understood something was wrong because he knew, like, trying to afford a two-bedroom apartment, I was working my butt off. Yeah. Um, Nothing would have kept me from being at work because I I needed it. Yeah, he knew that. He he knew that. Yeah. And – and that, it still took another two and a half hours, but yeah. he, he that's what told him something was wrong. He eventually showed up with police, um, and Floyd was arrested at the scene. And, Good. Thank God. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I got to go on and make my amends with Rob, which was really, really powerful. Uh-huh. Um, we did get to be friends. Rob just died last summer. Okay. Um, which I'm still so grieving. Um, sure. In very big ways. Floyd got out of plea deal, all of that criminal legal systems mess. Um, yep. He did get 10 years. Um, he's been out for a while. I do a lot of safety planning. I tend to be very, very private about where I live and all of that because of. Absolutely. Because, yeah, because I have a safety plan. Right. That, yeah, you bet. <laughs> God does for us what we can't do for ourselves, but there's a lot that we can do for ourselves. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that we don't. Yeah, exactly. There's still things we can do for ourselves. You bet. Um, But, yeah, all of that happened right about eight months sober, and and I got through it. Yeah. It took four years of really intense therapy. To, yep. to heal from that love, you know, that layer of... Well, just that one, and that's... Yeah. Just starting. To, um, yeah. But I, I you know, I got, I got to show up and do that work. Um, I had actually already started therapy because, lo and behold, I figured out when I removed the alcohol and the drugs, I needed needed to do something because I was yeah. growing out of my skin. Yep. Um but yeah, whole lot of intense work on that, and I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't have gotten through that process. And for me, it has to be drug free because I can't use yeah. the antidepressants or the anxiety medication or anything. <laughs> um, I couldn't have gotten through it without the program. Yeah. And the outside help, and yes, yeah. it's. I mean, 
I I love my sobriety. It is so important to me and I've and I need a program that works in really tough times. And I've yeah. gotten to test what some of those tough times can be. Oh, like. you found out, didn't you? You are you're a testament to it. That is that was I'm a just a few things on it. One, it was hard to tell. So thank you very much for that. Because it told us some things also that God can keep us sober, can he will answer you in the right times. And even during that, you had some spiritual where I don't know that I could have brought myself to do that. So I'm just saying, I'm, I'm kind of seeing it on a different view of fucking just how tough you were, how tough you are with God in your life. It's, and I, I always call my higher power because I didn't go into all the religious stuff one yeah, day, but, um, <laughs> I, I mean, but yeah, I I could not I could not have gotten through that much less through the hellish healing process. Yeah. Um without without the guidance of my higher power. Like I cannot I cannot imagine life without that. Um and I I know I've got another drunk in me. I could pick up again. I will not make it back. I was like, I was that close to just being institutionalized and having my brain totally fried. Yeah. Well, you were, you were almost at, uh, you were about to be brain damaged. I, I, if you take any more, that's what will happen. So, and um, I kind of want to let the audience know, if let's say you quit drinking and drugs for a while, if you go back, you're going to be back in the same place in a matter of weeks, months, because your disease is still progressing. I I could not, by the end, I could not write my name. Right? I could not function. Nope. Um, after I got sober, after I went through the the thing, the yeah. incident, um, I decided because of a few a few mixed experiences, the world needed more advocates. So I decided to go back to school. I got my took me seven and a half years part time. Um, but I got my bachelor's degree. I work Yay. as an as an advocate, and Yay. I mean miracles happen. I I could not. I, I used the program and all of that. I used it through school. I used it through life. Through it shows up every day in work. Yeah. Um, it is such what, a huge part of my life. What, now, what kind of advocacy are you doing? Because we can do that. I, I want the audience to kind of know what advocacy I, is. I work with domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, okay. and human trafficking wow. survivors. Um, wow. I love the work that I get to do. I'm sure. And, and 
yeah, I, I would not have the life that I have today. Well, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have the life that I had, period, because I wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, and Rob, Rob is my, is and always will be my hero. He will always oh, have a huge we place love in my Rob. life. He, I would not have walked away from my apartment had he have not been able to intervene. There was just, yep. there was no, no one else that, that could have. Sometimes uh, people in our lives are saviors. My wife was, my wife was, a, she's a savior. She saved, and some people are just like that. They just come along and save you. And it's, I don't understand it either, <laughs> but it worked. No, and yeah, it's getting to show up for life is amazing. Yeah. And all those years that I lived on self-destruct, I really was just living my life trying to figure out how to be dead. Yeah. Um, you know, today I get to show up actually for life and taking part in life and mm. it's amazing and it's that exciting. Is. That's neat. That's really neat. How much time do you have now? Like you don't mind me asking. I will I, in I 12, 12 days I will have 16 years sober. Mean and sober. Not, not a drug. I have gotten through hip surgeries and everything else without drugs. Wow. Um, like drug free, alcohol free. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and that that's a lot of courage. That is a lot of courage. We get our courage from. I get my courage from God. You know, but it's neat because, you know, like when I came into the program, I, I expected my fears to go down. It's like, oh, no, Dion, that's not going to go down. We're going to give you more courage. I'm like, oh, that's better than what I thought. <laughs> I'd much rather have more courage. And it's made you very, very strong. And I'm going to tell you, I would not have thought any of that happened to you, Leanna. I would have never known. I, I mean, it's not, it's not the topics for chit-chat in most, yeah. of, <laughs> most situations, but it, yeah, it is, um, we never, we actually never know people's stories, really. I mean, we hear yeah. the bits and pieces, um, but, yeah. That's why, that's why I really like enjoy, I really enjoy doing these because then I get to listen, I actually get to be a part of the story and, and listen, you know, even though, even though our stories are different, they're quite the same. And, you know, I always say stories bring hope. Stories make loneliness vanish. Um, when I came into the program, and and we talked on this a little bit earlier, when we, when I came to the program, these people were talking my talk. I felt a lot less lonely. 
I didn't want to die as much, is I guess the way I should put it. Because I wanted me dead. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and I understand that, you know, because first two, three months of my sobriety, I had to learn how to talk. I had to learn how to walk because I was just so far gone. And waking up from that um, scared the crap out of me. It just scared me. So, thank you so much for being on today with us, Leanna. You are welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. And, yeah, it's been an honor getting to talk with you and getting to hear some of your story along the way, too. That's great. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you. Uh, And for my listeners, you know, here again, we have a story that's a little bit different where parents weren't, weren't alcoholic, grandparents were not alcoholic, but because of situations in life, in people's lives, you know, people run around and, and you don't realize how lonely they are. And when it's hard to be in your own skin at the age of 14, you're going to find something. You're going to stick your finger down your throat. You're going to drink alcohol. You're going to, you know, there's, you're going to find something that makes you feel better and you're going to think that's the solution, which is unfortunate because it's not. So, but always keep in mind that everybody's got different paths. And so though you may not be eternally unique, you are beautifully unique in the fact that you are a child of God. Thank you, everybody, for being here. I love you all. Peace out, and have a day.